So if you've been, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, um, you know we've been doing a series called Questioning Faith. Questioning Faith has been an interesting journey because it kind of starts with the fundamentals of why we believe what we believe. You know what I mean? I feel like sometimes we get into conversations with people and we're like way down the road and, and they're, they're not started or maybe they're way ahead of us and we're not started. And uh, so it's kind of asking and permitting ourselves to ask these questions that we wonder about. And uh, we've had some good interaction on that. Family groups are meeting and talking about these things. It's been a real blessing. You know, it's kind of high-risk behavior to ask questions. You're not sure how the answers are going to come back. And uh, to love one another anyway. That's really been a great thing to grow together. I had a great family group this last week. And um, my definition, this is my own, this is me talking personally about my own journey. Because I got into a family group where we started a discussion. And by the end, I had to re-examine why I believed what I believed. That's a big change. You know what I mean? And I thank God for that. I, I'm not saying that that's right even. I'm just saying I love that I can go and be like, wow, walk out there and God, you're so much bigger. I got to rethink this stuff, how I think you work and uh, follow you differently. So anyway, but we're doing something different this Sunday. I don't know if you knew this when you came in this morning. We're doing something totally different. Uh, we're going to take a break from the Questioning Faith series. So if you came this morning going, oh, I can't wait for the next week, come back next week. We're going to have it. Family groups are still meeting. Some of our groups need to catch up. Some of our groups are going to have just a, a, a hangout night. Some of our groups are going to do other things. Um, so do what you want to do with the family group um, that you're in. But we're going to uh, take this week off. And the reason is that I want to spend some time. This is Pastor Appreciation Sunday, right? And, and normally we try to kind of put something together. The leadership team tries to kind of trick uh, Dan and Corey and I and do some things. And this time they kind of came and said, hey, we're doing this. This is the date, you know. And I thought, praise God, um, and we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about pastor appreciation, okay? And there's some things that I've had in my heart for a while I wanted to share with you guys as fellow followers of Jesus with me. And, um, and so I hope that uh, today as we share that God is glorified and, we're in, and you and I are both encouraged in what we're trying to do here and following Jesus together. So um, the, I titled this uh, morning's thing, uh, Redefining Success. I, I told you that this has been something that's been on my heart for a while. And so it's kind of unique in that way that, um, you know, I normally kind of know where I'm going. And I'm going to let you in on a, a little secret this morning. <clears throat> God's got some things in my heart, but I just want to share them with you. And so I don't know where it's going to go. And I don't think it's going to be anything like, you know, crazy, hopefully. And if it's, you know, his, let me know. But uh, I was thinking about this idea of redefining success um, Oh, by the way, I want to get a shout out. I'm, I got my uh, kicks on this morning. Uh, that's in honor of a very special young man, Corey Horseman, who got married last night. Some of you know who Corey is uh, to my wife and I, but we, are, we were blessed to be able to celebrate his wedding, and he had all his wedding party wear kicks. I wasn't in the wedding party, but he, we all wear chucks, and uh, I appreciate that because I used to have to wear chucks in seventh grade basketball by Coach Mason, <laughs> and we hated them, <laughs> and he wouldn't let us get the colored ones. We had to wear the canvas color, <laughs> which apparently is not really popular, but... Uh, Anyway, so, um, so read, and I didn't plan all that, but that's how it worked out because God loves to plan things ahead of us to bless us. But, um, so I was talking about redefining success because what's funny is when we get into church life sometimes, we start to think what success looks like. Often we'll have people come to Family Bible Church for the first time and they'll come in and they'll have a checklist in their mind of what success looks like for a church. You know, and I'll have conversations with people, and I appreciate the conversation. They'll say, oh, you know, if I was grading you on these things, this is where I kind of stack your church with other churches, and I'm going to go to some other churches. I saw this church down the street. They're doing something a little different, and, and, then, and that's fine. I'm not complaining. Praise God you're trying to find a place where God's calling you to be, right? 
something else that's happened is amongst churches, we, we look at one another and we go, oh, that works, man, I'm doing that at my church, you know, or we have these programs that are successful. We had someone came in this week and met with um, the, all the ministerial, uh, all the pastors in Highland, and they were from Britain, and they were talking about this huge success, this program in Britain, and they're so excited, it's evangelizing people, and they want to come, and they want to implement this program all across the United States. They feel like Britain is further ahead of the United States in the not believing in God category. They come, they share, and the whole time they're sharing, I'm so excited to meet a brother from across the pond, you know what I mean? A sister from across the pond. They were articulate. They were beautiful followers of Jesus. I loved them. We resonated. It was like family already. And yet, as they told their story, I thought, you're just telling me what God did there, right? Not to say he couldn't use that to do it here, but we get that way. We get a program idea. How do we succeed? Let me take your program and use that. And then I'll confess to you this morning on Pastor Appreciation Sunday that pastors are the worst. You know, I mean, not like, well, it might be the worst sinners, actually. But we're definitely the worst as far as trying to find a new way to succeed for God's glory. There are times in my personal life where I have to check myself when I'm on my knees before my Heavenly Father and I'm praying uh, that He would unlock something. And I realize that it's for my ego and not for Him. It's a tricky thing to follow Jesus together. And that's all the church is. And as I was kind of thinking about these things, and I mean, I'm in the middle of it. You don't get much of a break. You're just kind of going and banging through, and it's week in and week out, and you're doing what you can do, and you're showing up and seeing God work. And I thank God for that. In the middle of this, God starts to shape something in my heart, and he starts to say, what do you think success looks like? And, and in your life, what does success look like? Is it, is it the guy or the girl down the street? Is it what your parents have now that you don't have yet? Is it the way that one person that did finish college has, you know, achieved? All these are fine definitions. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, God kind of defines things for us. And so this morning I want to spend some time in the Word of God talking through how God defines success. And so I'm going to ask as we enter the words we always do, that we pray together and we let God speak into our hearts and souls this morning, that he would, he would bless us, challenge us, encourage us, draw us near, push us forward, change us because we've come. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we are here in your house, the great I am, the place where Jesus said my house is a house of prayer. I pray, Father, we come here to seek you, not to impress one another or impress ourselves or feel better about what's happening, Lord, but just to know you more fully. We can't do this on our own, and we ask that you would attend us with your spirit, that he would be guiding us each step of the way, that he would be shaping our minds, that he would be satisfying our hearts, that he'd be saving our souls, that he'd be calling into the light the dark places of our life, that we could be fully redeemed. May you do that work among us. We don't deserve it, but you are such a good giver. And you've given us so much. And so today we only come to ask just for what you have today for us. We thank you so much for your presence, your promise, your word, and this time together as your people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at defining success, I'm going to ask that you would turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 23. 
And I just want to read and talk through this a little bit. I kind of set up what we think success is a lot of times. And I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to be challenged myself to consider what God calls success. 25, verses 14 through 23. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. I'm going to stop a minute. You haven't got there yet? You you guys get to your page now, I hope. (laughs) I I wanted to stop there because I needed to anyway. Again, it will be like, and I'm already thinking, well, what will be like? Uh, Just, you know, mentally hold your finger there at 14, but look back at verse 1. It says, Jesus is teaching, saying, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. So this is going to be one of his teachings on how the kingdom of heaven is going to look. This is the, the, the realm of his authority, the basilica, the, the space where he governs, the people that belong to him live. Verse 14, go with me. Again, it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called to his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one each according to his, listen to the word, ability. Then he went on his journey. Well, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. And so also the one with two talents went and gained two more. But the man who was given one talent, well, he went off and dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five and said, Master, you entrust me with five. Now look, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Well, the man with two talents also came and he said, Master, you entrusted me with two. And look, I have two more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. How many of you heard this story before? Yeah, most of you. You can raise your hands in church. It's okay, I just told you that earlier. You can raise your hands. Guys, we have this story of someone who owns everything. Notice it says the master came back to his servants. He doesn't just own the stuff. He owns the people that have the stuff. And it tells this narrative of him going on a journey. It tells us that he gives us each the stuff that we need according to our ability. I've talked to many of you before. You don't see yourselves rightly. And you say, well, what can I do? I'm not like Joe or Susie or Bob. What can I do? But in this narrative, in this story, Jesus is teaching. He's saying, the master gives each one of you according to your abilities. Some more, some less. And some of us, just one. One thing. But something. And it belongs to the master. Well, that would all be fine and good. We could play with all the stuff God gave us, especially if he gave us five things. That'd be fun to play with five things, wouldn't it? Especially if he was making five more, having a good time there. But if you got that one thing, and you're in a crowd full of people with five things, I might just keep it. 
I might just bury that. I might not share that. When my master comes back, I'm going to say, oh, thank you for giving that to me. It was really cool. It was the only one I had, and I didn't want to lose it, so I saved it for you. But the master doesn't give us gifts that we save them for him. I'm just convinced. Read the word with me. It says that he expects us to do something with them. You say, well, he don't know me. He don't know my story. He don't know how hard it's been. He doesn't know what I've been through. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows how many breaths you have left in your lungs. I think he knows the talents he's given you. What we want to talk about what happens when we use the things that God gave us for his glory. And you just use them, and I want you to see how God defines success. And it's like this. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I told you earlier, as church leaders, as, as Christians even, you know, we look at everyone else and how they're doing, and we think, oh, if I could do that thing, man, I could really make a difference for God's glory. If I could be like that guy, if I could be like that lady, if I could be like those people. And the words that the master speaks to his servants when he comes back is not, oh, look how good you kept up with that other person, or look how good you did this other thing. It's these words right here on the screen. Well done, good and faithful servant. And as a pastor of Family Bible Church, as an aspiring ministry leader, I read those words and they just cut me. <laughs> right to my heart. Because this defines success differently. Good, faithful, servant. See, these words are inspired because you can be good and faithful and serving and have no outward signs of success. You can be good and faithful and serving for years and people will scoff and mock at what you're trying to do. They will say, oh, what have you done that's so great? This other guy, he did great stuff. They will compare the people of God to the people succeeding in the world and say, look at how successful they are. This all works. If you did what they did, you would finally succeed. But what this story tells us is that God is not impressed with our works of grandeur and certainly not when they're for our own ego. That's a false idol. It's a false God. And we run our whole lives worshiping ourselves. Look how good we are. Look how great this is. Look how awesome we're doing. But to get to the end of this race, church, and stand before the holy God who knows you and not hear good and faithful servant from his lips would be a tragedy beyond compare. So you might think, well, how do you define good and faithful servant? You know, because a lot of things are good and faithful. That one guy had five. He was good and faithful. He had five more. 
One with two, he was good and faithful. He had two more. And the implications, if that one person had that one talent, had invested that talent, he would have had one more. And his father would have been just as pleased to say these words, well done, good and faithful servant, for that one talent that's used for his glory. He's not more impressed with five. We are. He's not. I want to speak to you today if you feel that way, like God's given me one thing. Or maybe you're here and you're like, God hasn't given me anything. I would believe you except that that would make God a liar. And so therefore, our job together is to figure out what it is. And the minute you find it, use it for his glory. Well, the story doesn't end all that great. You see, we stop there. Well done, good and faithful servant. By the way, do you see the last line there? He says, come and share in your master's happiness. What a joyful day that will be. We sing songs about the heights of joy and the depths of difficulty. But to hear these words at the end of our journey, what a joyous moment that will be. Come and join the master's happiness. Praise God. That is our goal. So I want you to, to kind of jump down to 26 because I want to see how not being good and faithful is defined by Jesus' own lips. There's some stuff in between you can read, but listen to 26. The master replied to the one who did not use his talent, you wicked and lazy servant. It's the opposite of this, you see. Good and faithful, wicked and lazy. It, it doesn't, you know, we can read wicked or evil and be like, oh, you're so evil, you know. But it just means difficult. He means I've been your God since the beginning and I'm dragging you kicking and screaming along the way. You're such a pain for me. You don't willingly give me your gift. It wasn't that that guy never had a word from his master, never had inkling in his soul that he was not supposed to bury his treasure. It was that he knew and he was a burden to his master. And he says, wicked and lazy servant. It's not what you want to hear. And so we define, we redefine. I'm going to challenge you and I. When we start to think about what we're doing, especially as a church family, family Bible church, the two questions we have to ask is, are we being good and faithful servants? Because if we're being good and faithful servants, that means we are succeeding in God's eyes. And if we're succeeding in God's eyes, it doesn't matter what anyone else has to say about our success because it's his victory we're pressing for. It's his pleasure, his affirmation. Now you might know, you see, kind of preaching to myself. But I preaching it to you, I want us to hold each other accountable. Can I just say something real quick? The leadership team of this church does a great job of holding one another accountable to the point of pain sometimes. To the point of when we, when we think we've we got to figure it out and, 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 if, and if we don't all sense that, that they say, wait a minute, is this for God's glory or our own? It's not to hinder success, it's to rightly define it. I thank God for the leaders in this church. Well, I want to share another passage of scripture with you. This one blew me away whenever I heard it. 
And it's going to kind of tandem off of this. It's in the Gospel of Mark. It's behind Matthew, if you don't know. Flip back a few pages. Page number 706, if you use one of our Bibles. And this is a story I've heard a bunch of times before. Maybe you have too, but I want to share it with you guys today. This is what the Word says. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. It was made of pure nard. And she broke this jar, and she poured the perfume over the head of Jesus. Well, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and the money could have been given to the poor. And they began to rebuke her harshly. Jesus says this, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor will always be with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Anytime the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I read this story of Jesus. By the way, I don't know how your Jesus looks, but here's a biblical story about him laying around a table with a bunch of people, right? Having a meal. This is the kind of Jesus that we follow. He was known to hang out with, you know, sinners, people who didn't belong, people who didn't deserve his presence. And he loved that, and he loved them. And in the middle of this moment, everyone's there with him doing their thing. Here's this one woman, and she has this one jar, and it happens to be valuable. I'm not sure if it matters how much it was worth, but for her, it was significant. And as she sees this Jesus reclining at this table, something moves her, something wakens her in her spirit, and she breaks this jar, and she pours it over his head as an anointing as a blessing. And I don't know what pure nard smells like, but I, I mean, it must have been something because it was worth a year's wages, supposedly, okay? Maybe it was marked up 70%. It was really only worth like a third of the year's wages or one month's wages. But when she poured it, the house fills with this aroma. And the smell starts to go out from the Savior Jesus who is about to die and no one knows it. And in this moment, some really bright guy at the table says, what a waste. Do you know what you could have done with that lady? Do you know how much more you could have helped? That, what were you thinking? And in this moment, this perfect moment of worship, of submission, of giving something of value, of recognition, an anointing of the Savior. In this moment, she's rebuked by those who are hanging out with Jesus. I read the story and I get convicted. 
Because how often are we like that? Well, that was a waste. We could have done a lot of different things with that. Way to go. You screwed it up for the rest of us. And Jesus in this moment says, why are you bothering her? And there's this great line in your Bible. Do you know this is in there? It says she did what she could. She just did what she could. And the people around the table with Jesus who are so busy telling her what she could have done instead have all their alabaster jars setting with all their stuff and they're not pouring out any of it for Jesus because they're saving it for the poor. And here is this woman who's worshiping him. They don't see it. And they rebuke her in his presence. You see, this helps us understand success in the eyes of Jesus. You and I, when we're moved of spirit, when we're moved in his presence to worship him fully, to commit that sacred act, to be foolish, to be wasteful. He says, yeah, that one's mine. And meantime, church, hear me here. In the middle of this beautiful act, there's people around the table going, oh, what a waste. And they think, and you can hear it in Jesus' story here, Jesus says to them, they think he's going to be like, yeah, seriously, you know, I'm Jesus, and I don't need your alabaster oil. They think he's going to rebuke her with them. You don't say stuff in front of Jesus if you don't think he's going to agree with you. <laughs> Have you read the Gospels? You shouldn't say things in front of Jesus if you don't think he's going to agree with you. Because he will tell you the truth. And it will probably cut like a knife. I want to encourage you, church, on this Pastor Appreciation Sunday, that you are the church. And I don't mean if you're here at Family Bible Church, you're the church. I mean, if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, if you are in his kingdom, if you're part of his heavenly work, you are the church. And this word is for all of us. You did what you could. You did what you could. And Jesus sees that. Just like that guy with that one thing, just one thing, Jesus is like, I know it, but I know what you're doing with it. It's a funny thing, Pastor Appreciation, because you guys come up and say kind things, and I appreciate it. I appreciate your appreciation. I do. But you know what I, I thank God for more than anything else? I thank God for you guys being on journey with me. I mean, I thank God for you guys who are following Jesus for real and who are pouring out your alabaster jar and who are investing your one talent. I mean it. And I think that's the stuff the church is made of. The word pastor in the Bible means shepherd. And this church has a lot of shepherds in it. It's the people who call somebody. It's the people who, you know, just do that extra thing for someone else. They see the need, they meet the need, they're worried, they're praying, they're concerned. It's the church. 
And so this morning, what I wanted to say, I hope you've been encouraged about, you, you know, this whole thing. But what I really want to say is just thank you. Thank you. I've realized something as I've come into pastoral ministry, you know. There are a lot of churches that need pastors. Do you know that that's true? And there are a lot of pastors that need churches. And that's ironic. Because when I talk to churches that are looking for pastors, you know what they say? I don't want one of those really young ones. Because they're kind of dangerous. You don't know what they're going to say or where they're going to go. There's the crowd that's going, we want the young ones. And there's a lot of churches, this breaks my heart, says, we don't want those old ones. They're all wore out. They're past their prime. They're good and faithful servants. And it breaks my heart. Because in God's definition of success, they succeed. And we just tear them down. So we have this sweet spot we want. Right in the middle. Prime of your life. And when we're done with that, we'll take the next one. Well, I thank God for you guys. Because I've not seen that here. To tell you the truth, I have failed repeatedly at Family Bible Church. I'm not making it up. I'm just screw things up. And you guys have loved me and prayed for me and been patient with me. And it's been a blessing because I can tell you this, that this servant of God who's had his life completely changed is only here because of you. I mean it. It's because of you. And so I thank God for that. So today, I want to thank you. I don't care about anything else. I mean, I appreciate the appreciation, but I just want to say thank you for helping God change who I am as his follower. Please join me as we pray together. Father God, we have come here into your house where you are the great shepherd you are the one that we are after. You are the one that we want to hear your voice. We want to hear you say the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And sometimes, Lord, this journey takes everything that we have. And I'm not talking for myself here, Father, because sometimes as a pastor, I get that support. I get those prayers. I get that hug of affirmation and that word of encouragement because the saints are in your church and they see your work. But I'm thinking of those today, Father, who are here and who don't feel that love, who don't know that encouragement or that touch. And I pray that by your Spirit's power and in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior who died on the cross, that we could be free. You would empower servants into the field. That you would send us out as your under-shepherds, your mini-shepherds, to just show some love, show some encouragement, to see the alabaster jars and just go, wow, praise God. He loves it when you do that for him. I ask that you would forgive us for the times that we've been harsh, that we've been the person in the room saying, what a waste. You could have done that better. 
I pray, Father God, that you would have your way with your people. I mean, that when we all show up that day, when we all get to see you face to face, when we have reached that press box that we've been playing to our whole lives, we would hear those words of comfort and affirmation. Well done, good and faithful servants. That's our prayer. We pray it by the hope and in the name of Jesus Christ who makes all things possible. Even someone like us being radically changed. And so we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.